0: Well, first of all, thank you to the organizers, Abdul Dulu especially. Um, We did our doctorates together um, in London, and our paths have diverged almost completely. I suppose now I'm in anthropology. I've been there for a long time. I worked on energetics in my early days in uh, taking energetics methods to the field to be thinking about ecological questions and how to use energetics ecologically, Mm -hmm. and also um, in evolutionary context. What I'm going to talk about today is going to be speculative. It's something that emerges from conversations uh, with people in architecture, urban planning, and theatre production. And um, I hope it engages your interest a little bit. And I think the first picture will engage your interest a little bit. This is a section from a picture, painting by Canaletto. Canaletto knew about the uh, built environment. In fact, next time you look at a Canaletto, take a picture of it and take it with you to Venice, and you'll find that nothing is real. You think you're seeing Venice, but you know. You're seeing a production of Venice that's been reconstructed for you know, the, 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 the visitor. Come on to that presently. I'm going to talk about physical activity in the, in the built environment. Um, more from an aesthetic than a utilitarian perspective. Now, I think most people in this room are utilitarians. You know, your focus is on the body and the body physiology, how the physiology works, and the individual, and where you construct populations, there are populations of individuals. As an anthropologist, I'm thinking about the relationality of people and things. One of the things that's changed very dramatically in the world in the last 10 years, even, is the connectedness of things. But actually, um, hands up if you have a smartphone. Okay, it's a few people. Hands up if you've used your smartphone to map your way um, around a place in the last, even today. Yeah, okay. All right, okay, so you're already engaged in the, uh, uh, in, in the use of smartness and the use of smart infrastructure to negotiate yourself, to map your way around cities. <coughs> When we look at physical activity and physical inactivity, um, the first thing is that I'm passing the problem by saying, first of all, it's majorly an issue of upper middle income countries and high income countries. We're not talking about the so called developing world, the low income countries, where there are many big issues with undernutrition and usually often higher levels of physical activity. So I'm dealing with the wealthy countries. That's the, uh, that's the first thing. Secondly, Why is physical activity important in the late modern world? Okay, we live in late modernity. Some people would say we live in post-modernity. I choose particular construction. That is, we construct the world um, through markets. We construct the world through the use of materials. And we construct and we are very much in control of how we structure uh, the physical world around us. Structure, 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 structure. Even structures you're not even thinking about are structuring you. Most commonly we think about physical inactivity in terms of public health, reducing morbidity and mortality, that's cool, that's wonderful. We can also think about physical activity in evolutionary terms, in terms of make choice, reproduction, obtaining enough food, and so on. We can think of it in economic terms, and you know, in places where people have to work physically hard, then you know, being physically active translates directly into economic units. But, Everybody in this room is sitting down. Everybody is extraordinarily inactive. Most people in this room do not need to be inactive because I've been watching you already. Most people are not taking notes. Most people might be looking at their computers briefly, but most of you could be standing up. We could be having this conversation in a Socratic manner, walking around the room, but we choose to structure ourselves into a lecture theatre, a lecture theatre that mimics anatomy theatres, where you would be presenting something up front and dissecting and so on. So we're already conforming to a particular kind of structure just by sitting down in this room. Biocultural Perspectives, which is uh, what I'm going to take, is going to be looking at capital formation and how people interrelate with each other, because one of the most fundamental things about humanity is how we relate to each other. And the crudest way in which we relate to each other is in relation to status. So you know, I bow down to the big professor. A student bows down to me. And uh, somebody who aspires to be a student bows down to the students, at least in medieval Germany. That's how it was. It's certainly not like that in Oxford. I get challenged all the time. So I'm going to be looking at, at forms of capital. And I'm not going to be using embodied capital so much in the way that Jonathan Wells, for example, has used it but look at the relationships between different forms of capital, and I want to argue that um, we are building capital all the time, and we can use physical activity as a way of thinking about uh, building uh, building capital. So, from a biocultural perspective, we can look at it from economic production, evolutionary advantage, sporting display, military activity, but also in terms of aesthetics of people, of the built environment, and very old-fashioned. I like things of beauty. I notice beautiful places, and I like walking in beautiful places. And we can also think about physical activity in terms of, of, of capital formation. So let's start with the, the aesthetics of, 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 um, of people. Embodiment is capital, aesthetic capital. George Clooney, he's running. Madonna's just come from the gym. This is their job, okay? This is their job. Looking good. <laughs> being presented, looking good. Being a celebrity means doing a lot of bodywork. Being, being the right kind of model for the right kind of thing and the right kind of person, okay? Cluny and Madonna. Well, none of us are Cluny. None of us are Madonna. Okay, but. But, 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 so many people are doing work for aesthetic capital. When we look at slimming organizations, to get slim, what are, they, what are they trying to produce? Yes, of course health, but what sells better is looking good, losing those pounds, looking good, putting on a slimmer dress, being able to carry it off, being noticed by the opposite sex. This is body work, body work for weight loss. It's not insignificant. It's been theorized even. In the societies in which we live, more individuals are forced to negotiate lifestyle choices among a diversity of options. We can be what we like, we can choose what we can consume, we can decide how we want to present ourselves. And I can look in this room, there are a number of blue shirts, who so people are following the medical model of the blue shirt and slacks, so a few people are dressed like that. There's the rebel in the green shirt over here, the yellow jumper over here, you know. He's showing his individuality, I may be a hard scientist, but actually I'm really quite fun to be with. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and, 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 and on, on we go, on we go. Uh, Even within this room, a very utilitarian, mostly utilitarian scientists, there's already a lot of presentation of individuality just through what you've chosen to buy and wear. So, you're already negotiating your lifestyle choices. Secondly, Foucault um, is a dead word for most biologists, but uh, social scientists love him because he talks about power and understanding power in the world today. And actually, most of us internalize being governed by behaving properly. We know how we should be good citizens, we know how we should behave, and so we behave properly. I'd argue this is also important in relation to to physical activity, inactivity and obesity. To be an autonomous, free individual in the world today, you must learn new techniques for understanding and practicing them on yourself think about weight management. I weigh myself several times a week and this is practicing Foucault's governmentality. I am governing my body. I am being a good citizen by governing my body myself. I do not want external forces. I'm being the best possible citizen because the best citizen complies to what the state wants. The state, through public health, wants me to be somebody with a body mass index of between 18.5 and 25. So that's what I'm doing. So pushing this further, people through the enterprising self are pushed to live as if making a project of themselves. They to work on their emotional world, their domestic and conjugal arrangements, their relationships with employment, their techniques of sexual pressure, to, devour, to devour, develop a style of living that will maximize the worth of their existence to themselves. Okay, this sounds fairly abstract, but actually it's not abstract at all. Because in the last 10 years or so, the world has changed incredibly because of the emergence of social media. I have placed a timing for a new revolution, which was around 10 years ago, which is the social media revolution, which is changing societies. It's changing communities. It's changing how we understand humanity. Is anybody checking their email right now? Hand up, be honest. Okay, (laughs) three people checking their email right now. That's fine, I'm cool with that. But what that tells me is that we should be engaged here as a community with a common project. But there are three people who are engaging with other communities as we speak here. There's nothing wrong with that. That is perfectly normal behavior in the new revolution that we're experiencing right now. It's even worse if you're sitting at the dinner table and everybody's using their mobile phones to talk to different people while they're sitting with other people. That's even worse. But just to say, this is quite normal. Now, taking selfies, that's a new phenomenon. It's cute, but actually it's incredibly serious, and actually, anthropologists study selfies. Why? It's about self-presentation. You put yourself together, and you know, there are selfie spots on the world now, there are selfie tourism. You go to a place to take a selfie next to a particular thing. You know about this? Yeah, it happens. It's not just cute, because people are representing themselves and developing and maintaining aesthetic capital by being in particular places and taking pictures. There are things like Facebook, where self-presentation is fundamental, having the right picture. Two-bit Matthews, he looks cool, so does, it, so does friends, Randy and, 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 and Party Boy and Steve and Cherry and Katniss, everdeen look, look, does she look like that over breakfast? Probably not. But the thing is, nor does he. But the thing is, that you put these images out as self-presentation. This is uh, building aesthetic capital. You want people to like you, you have to look right. Okay? I'm building (laughs) aesthetic capital. (laughs) Perfect. Do I look better? (laughs) Do you like me? (laughs) Perhaps. Okay. But aesthetic labor, the work that goes into building aesthetic capital, I think probably women know it better than men. Actually, meeting physical beauty norms and makeup, the time that's taken to be able to create the image that you want to present the world with every single day, every single day, this is building um, uh, aesthetic capital. Okay, it has been theorized, continues to be theorized. Um, It's a form of cultural capital. Non-financial assets involve educational, social, and intellectual knowledge. It is a very real construction. It's produced through aesthetic labor. It's largely symbolic. It isn't in relation to money, but money can buy it. You can buy beauty with money. If you go to the right hairdresser, you buy the right glasses, you, you get your teeth whitened, money can buy it. So you, but the symbolic capital is more immediate than money, because people evaluate people they look at like that, like that, just immediately. But its important is because it's evaluated immediately, and beauty and good looks come with benefits. Sexual attractiveness and attributions of moral goodness and economic success. The halo effect, the assumption that people with visible desirable traits have other positive qualities. So when you go to a job interview, you want to look as good as you possibly can, because if you look good, people will attribute other good qualities to you even without looking at your CV. So aesthetic capital is hugely, hugely important. So to relate this to physical activity, physical activity might be performed for the sake of health. Yes, we all want to be healthy and live as long as we can. But more importantly, it's important in negotiating everyday life with the aesthetic capital that it can generate. So if we go back to Madonna and George Clooney, they are running because it's not just because of their health, it's because of the aesthetic capital they build to keep themselves in a place of status. And we're all doing it. We all take it down to uh, to, 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 the everyday, uh, everyday, uh, to everyday life. Let's relate this to aesthetics of the built environment. I haven't seen much of Freeburg, but it looks a very late modern city. I'm sure there's a medieval part of it, but I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure it's very beautiful, and I'm sure that it will be wonderful to walk around. The aesthetics of the built environment, back to areas that you probably are more familiar with. Um, the accessibility for cycling and walking. I'm just going to focus on cycling and walking, this kind of uh, activity. That where there are busy st- streets, um, residential neighborhoods then you know they can be negative the streets are busy but there's a cycle path, there are shops, parks, benches and so on all within walking distance and it's positive. People are more likely to walk if there are things to walk to if there are places to see that are nice to look at as you walk um, as you walk around them aesthetics friendly neighborhoods, pleasant near the house, attractive areas, enjoyable scenery, hills all of these things contribute to the walkability and the cyclability of a place. <clears throat> so, perceived environmental aesthetics and walking companions are important correlates of walking for exercise. And walking and cycling are usually performed when neighborhood aesthetics are positively perceived and there are more physically active people around to say hello to. <coughs> so, It's very easy to be physically active in Oxford. It's downright beautiful. It's heart-bleedingly beautiful. It's a place that makes people cry with its beauty. It's such an amazing place, and I never... I want to be buried in Oxford. I'm very happy to be buried in Oxford. I love the place. So, lots of cycles, the occasional unicycle. Not everybody wears gowns all the time, of course, but... You know, it's easy to walk. Actually, it's very difficult to drive in Oxford. It's, you have to, uh, you know, the, it, it's the, the, the medieval city centre is impossible for driving. So, it, the, you know, physical activity is easy to promote. This is an aerial map of the centre of Oxford, and what you can see all of this medieval centre and lots of college gardens, but also parks that are easy to get to. Everywhere you turn a corner within the centre of Oxford, you can see something of aesthetic beauty. It makes you want to walk. It makes you want to cycle. Contrast that with, you know, a burnt-out city, I regret to say in the United States, apologies, um, where urban form can have very negative consequences. Visual qualities of built environment can affect mental states. Architectural variation of physical building attributes can affect psychological, uh, you know, the psychological qualities of of street scenes. Where there's urban disorder, it can be seen as a signal of breakdown of local social order. So, you see littered streets, you see lots of rubbish, you think, oh, no. No, it's not just there's litter, it's not just that the buildings are destroyed, actually the people here are damaged as well. Do I really want to go here? And where something looks disordered it potentially looks dangerous as well. And geographers have um, mapped out geographies of fear for different cities, and this is constantly changing. So the walkability of a place is, would I walk there if I'm likely to get robbed? Well, no. If there's lots of people there, I'm more likely to walk there because I'm less likely to be robbed. So having a place that's more socially oriented makes it more walkable because already it's safer, it's better. Now, physical activity is often taken from a very utilitarian perspective, getting from A to B if you're commuting. Okay? The speediest way from A to B is economically rational. And again, in late modern society, we reduce most things to economic rationality, the most efficient way of doing something. But actually if we want people to be physically active, we should be moving away from economic rationality because it's actually economic rationality that is reducing physical activity. The fact you're sitting down here makes it very easy to order. The fact that there are escalators means that you can order the speed at which somebody goes through an airport, for example. All of these things are planned out. If you put in escalators in places, you can actually map how quickly people move through something and all to, you know, to, to economic advantage, whether it's to, for employment or whether it's, whether it's for, for, for purchasing things. But it doesn't offer aesthetic returns that encourage people to be physically active, nor does it feed the need for mental well-being. So, here's London. Different types. That's beautiful London, that's beautiful London. This is burnt out London very recently. tower block burnt down. This is another part of London. You have to negotiate all kinds of mixed up things. So, Yahoo Labs, Dan- 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 daniela kochia who used to be in cambridge people who work in physical activity in cambridge probably know him um, he's now with Yahoo, and he mapped out london he mapped out boston as well his principle being what is it that makes london look beautiful quiet and happy it's an important question because if you want to move people from public transport or the use of cars to cycling around and walking around as in London, the Transport for London Authority wants to do. So one of the Transport Authorities actually wants to get people off public transport and wants people physically active, honestly. Um, and so they're employing psychologists and, and, uh, and, and planners that can help them to think about how they can encourage people to move around. Anyway, how do you decide whether London's use beautiful? Well, they use crowdsourcing uh, techniques. Um, these are visual words for beauty, and ugly at the bottom. You get people to look at these pictures, five and a half million images on Flickr that were used in total, 3.3 thousand subjects that responded to this and they clicked on this and they said, This is beautiful, this is beautiful, this is beautiful, this, that's beautiful, that's ugly, beauty, ugly. So you can characterize these things without having to respond to long structured questionnaires. Because honestly, a lot of times when we talk about the built environment, we're thinking in very abstract terms. And actually, it can be a very precise thing in your mind when you see it. So, ugly beauty, ugly beauty. On it goes, quiet and noisy. The same thing. Here's a noisy street. You just press on that and say, that's noisy. Uh, and you just compare pictures all the time. One on one, one on one, one on one. All the time, quickly. Happy, sad. whole of London's been mapped. If you want to be sad in London, I can find the street for you. <laughs> if you want to be happy, I can find the street for you. Because generally, even going to those places can make you either happy or sad. Just, just, just by virtue of the affect that they generate around them. Okay, compared to the shortest routes um, that coach here, through the city, based on beauty, quietness um, and happiness, on an average 12% longer and perceived to be more beautiful, quiet and happy. The so shortest route can be also beautiful, quiet and happy in London, um, but if you take a beautiful route, it's more likely to be both quiet and happy as well. If you take a beautiful route, it's even more likely to be quiet and happy as well. So, on you go. So, how you choose your route. Taking a walk from Euston Station to Tate Modern in London. If you're taking the economically rational way, it takes 48 minutes. If you're taking the beautiful way, it takes 52 minutes. This is pulling together that data and turning these streets into beautiful, quiet, sad, etc. streets. And, and then and then plotting um, the most beautiful, the shortest, the quietest, and so on. But actually, you take the quiet route, It only takes seven minutes longer than if, you, if you're walking at the same place.
1: Goodness me!
0: If you start off with your smartphone, which will give you the economically rational way of getting from A to B, the shortest route, you'll get there quickly. Terrific. The next time you say, I know this route, I'll follow this route. It turns into a habit. So you keep following this route that is economically rational because your phone told you in the first place. Rather than looking for what is going to be the nicest route. These phones are already changing our behaviour. They are already reducing physical activity through our need to be able to work our way through places. There is an app for this, by the way. Now, this idea that we are surrounded by technology and we live through technology is already an idea that's nearly 30 years old. Arjuna Padurai, University of Chicago anthropologist, coined the term technoscapes. Okay, here are two people technoscaping their way through London. Okay, it's not unusual. got your headphones up, you're talking to people, you're looking at your phone, you're multitasking as you go along, and you're negotiating your city through that technology. We're not operating as free agents. We're operating through existing structures in technoscapes. Physical activity isn't simple. You think it's simple because everybody can walk. (coughs) Walking, walking, see? I don't have to think. I've been walking for a long time. But shoes and clothing are important to be able to negotiate the built environment. So, what kind of shoes do you wear, what kind of clothing is important for the particular conditions. Time. Relating space to time. The time it takes, the time travelled, the time you have available. All the time you're making these calculations about how much time do I have, should I be doing this. You know, I cycle to Oxford from my village, which is ten kilometres from Oxford, every day. It's faster than driving. In the summer, If I tell myself, I have 20 more minutes, I cycle along the River Thames and I'm in a different country. It is so beautiful, I just follow the river and I'm 200 meters from my work at the end of that cycle ride. Because I tell myself, I have more time. We use maps and navigation, our internal maps. The maps that we have, the formal maps, material, digital maps, we use bicycles, safety, security, technologies, clothing, locks, helmets, bike racks, cycle A lot of technology is built into being physically active. Buses, drivers, security of the driver, the maintenance of the buses, the timetables, the roads, routes, population density, movement, trains, as with buses, but with tracks and stations, boats, as with buses and trains, but on water. They all follow similar principles. If you're taking a car, you need to be able to park it. I say, do I want to drive to London? No, because I have to park the car. It's convenient to drive to London, but it's inconvenient to park the car in London. So then I make a decision about which is the best way to go. Um, regulation, the police, speed limits, cameras. Do you know what we're talking about? We're talking about an expert system. It's no one thing. Being physically active it means negotiating an expert system which is structured to make things as efficiently as possible in the built environment. But we're responding to that. When we say, you should walk more, you should be more physically active. Think about the structures in which people are physically active. Smartness, smartphones. So, you can encourage physical activity by using these things in particular ways you can potentially transform ways in which people use a built environment to increase physical activity and all of these things through smart technologies. So I'm going to move very very quickly to a few fast slides about physical activity and smart technologies. You've all got phones, we know all of this, everybody's disconnected from the people around them and connected to the people who are in virtual space, right? That's a very interesting phenomenon because communities are not communities anymore, they're already digitized and in, in distant space. Um, we have built environments in smart cities. The best example is Copenhagen. Okay? This is, that's the building I work in in Copenhagen, so I have a, a part-time appointment at Copenhagen University. Um, and smartness is built into all of these buildings in Copenhagen, at Copenhagen University. Even if, for example, I want to drive in Copenhagen, I can, I can you know, switch on my sat my navigation instrument, and it can tell me where I, where I can park. Well, There's a free parking space. Because the parking space has a sensor that says whether it's free or closed. In real time. I don't have to waste time looking for parking space. It's there immediately in front of me, for example. Um, So the relating aesthetics of people with aesthetics of the built environment. How do we go about that? The built environment continues to be built. We start to create performative environments. This is where theatre design becomes important. Place and space 101. And, uh, And my daughter taught me a lot about space and place 101. But actually, there are many spaces, but you create places through other people. For example, when there's nobody in here, this is a space. When there's anybody in here and I'm talking to you, this is a place, because I'm performing in front of you. And there's a very real social function happening in front of our eyes. The thing is that we can have places, but we we have spaces, but we need to turn them into places where people interact. Where people interact, you will increase physical activity, because it's a fundamental belief um, that everybody really does want to be physically active they don't want to be inactive, but we're, we're structured into, way, into ways of, of, of behaving like that. So performative architecture is using sensor technology and smartness, offering people behavioral cues from the built environment. We should be thinking about how urban planning is creating smart cities and thinking of how we might build in um, smartness, um, uh, behavioral cues that will prompt and encourage physical activity. Again. I'll give you two examples, one in Copenhagen. Israel's Platz was reconfigured just a few years ago. This was a, a site of urban desolation until a few years ago. Now they put some steps here, they put a ring around here, they turned this into an ice rink in winter, there's a few trees here. This is a place where people meet. People say, let's meet here, then go on to somewhere else. So they've turned this into a place from being a space. In London, this is City Hall and brand new building, beautiful atrium, you can eat in there, but also this is a place where people can, can congregate. And there's free Wi-Fi around here, so everybody's connected. So just the very fact the cities have Wi-Fi and is free, means this turns it into a smart place because you can connect to, 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 to other things and other places. OK, uh-huh. I've mentioned Canaletto, and I have to because I promised my wife I would show this picture. Um, this is performative. You see everybody's standing and talking. The performativity in urban environments is the fact that I start, and I talk to you. You talk in a group, you move around, you decide to do something else. Because in a late modern environment we perform ourselves, we present ourselves and we perform in particular ways uh, with various people. So we should encourage performativity in public spaces. Um, Performative architecture encourages physical activity, social participation, and builds forms of capital. This beautiful red cycle bridge, um, if you go to Copenhagen sometimes, get a bicycle, cycle across it. It is one of the most wonderful things you can ever imagine. And dare I say it, it is elevating. Um, There are also piano stairs, which you you, you find in various cities now, especially especially in China. Kids love them. (laughs) some of them even play notes so you can run up and down you know it's playful but on the other hand it has a very real serious purpose it gets people moving it keeps people engaged with each other and with the environment okay it's every day as in smart cities so smart city technologies will be different in different built environments not every city can be the same possibly so the question I have is do they behave like pond ecologies we're actually creating urban ecologies um, around smartness and that smartness will depend on what's already there because the assemblage of things in different cities will be different. The fact that uh, Fribourg has a medieval city centre will be unique from going to another city. So you have to think well how do I make this medieval city centre smart? I went to St Gallen um, uh, yesterday and there's an artist called Pipilotti Rist, she's Swiss and she's created a space in the city that is very red, with kind of sofas that emerge from from the street and big globular cars and and different kinds of signage that indicates where you put your bicycle, where you put your car, and so on. It's a place that energizes the centre and brings people to it. There can be a lot more of it. I'm sure it was hugely expensive because she's very famous, but you know you can create local ecologies. So. I'm going to finish. I want to say it's intensely political. It's not straightforward. Um, And the size of a city and the distance to the central business district determines how much you can cycle and how much you can walk. This is a 10-kilometer parameter. Easier to cycle in Paris and Moscow into the city than it would be in Berlin or New York York City, for example. So the size of a city certainly matters. And the geography of a city certainly certainly matters. And I'm just going to stop right now. Thank you.